Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Balaam Usitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, today we're excited to be joined by Darren Janelle, founder and CEO of Janelle Group. Darren's company does software development for a wide range of clients. His fast-growing company is known in the capital region of New York for its unique culture, and Darren is known regionally as a strong and engaging leader. This interview was recorded as part of the Clarkson University BizLab Lunch Series. This is Darren's second time on the podcast. He was a guest back on Episode 5, so if you like this one, check out his first visit as well. Yeah, it was great, Bela, but before we begin, we want to share with our listeners that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Thanks, Bela. With that, let's move to the interview with Darren Janelle. So it's my pleasure now to introduce our presenter today, Darren Janelle. Uh, Darren runs a software development company called Janelle Group. Where'd you come up with that name? Janelle <laughs> 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 Group. That uh, he co-founded with his brother Jason, who was also a business class speaker uh, a couple years ago. Uh, they've grown their company from three people. This is amazing, by the way. Listen to this: three people in 2012 to 85 people today. Um, yeah. intro. Thank you, Rick. I am fired up to be here today. What a great crowd. Schenectady businessman legend Walt Robb is in the crowd. I just, uh, I just had the opportunity to meet him, and they say, when you meet your heroes, you have to be careful what you say. But I think Rob handled himself very well. <laughs> Hopefully you appreciate my fire and passion, and you may be thinking to yourself, Mel, why is this man screaming at me? But it's because I'm trying to help, okay? Whenever people describe me, they say, Darren, you, you have so much energy. They also say you're a maniac, but they, they, they say you have so much energy, which reminds me of a quote. Success in almost any field depends more on energy and drive than it does on intelligence. But the guy doesn't stop there. This explains why we have so many stupid leaders. <laughs> It's great to start off with a joke like that, but uh, of course this is a joke because anyone who knows me knows I'm ridiculously intelligent. <laughs> oh, I'm killing it up here. All right, we're in, we're in the zone here. I have, what is my mission today? Why am I here? Why am I so fired up? Right? I have three goals today. One, I hope to entertain you. I hope you get a kick out of this and walk away and say that was worth my time. Two, I hope to inspire. I hope you can walk away a little bit fired up and say, wow, there's this other maniac in this area doing something. Maybe, maybe some of that rubs off on you. And number three, and this one's most important, I hope to spark an idea or a thought in you so that you can take something with you. Whenever I come to talks like this, I want to walk away with something, something tangible that I can take back to my business or to my life. So hopefully I can inspire something and spark something. So let's start off with a, a little bit of backstory. My grandfather moved to this country in 1936 at age 13 from Germany. Think about that. 13 years old, got on a boat and came here to America. Got his first job literally two doors down from here at the Barney's building. 
I think he was 13 years old, and he was making furniture. Two doors down, and our office is now right across the street. I just think that's like a really cool story about how this guy set out from another country to kind of start something special for his family, and here we are a couple generations later, and, and, it's, really, and it's really rolling. And I, I just feel so fortunate that I get to do business and live in America, so props to Willie Janelle. <laughs> so the early days, right? So uh, my grandfather started us off here, and we grew up uh, about 10, uh, 10 minutes from here. I was lucky enough to be part of a, a great family. I got two parents that are awesome. They love each other. They're actually in the crowd right here. Um, <clears throat> And, and we just grew up in a happy home. They, they taught us hard work, and, and uh, we just had a really great childhood. I also was lucky enough to grow up with my best friend. Um, wow, that was emotional. <laughs> my, my brother, who's my business partner, we grew up together, and uh, we were just inseparable from the beginning. We played sports a ton. We were absolutely obsessed with the game of basketball, right? We, we played on many teams together, and we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to play on some special teams over the years. And those special team experiences really shaped us and kind of shaped the way we do things. And we'll get a little bit more into that um, as we go, but that, that's kind of where, where we started. After, after college, we, we played ball, uh, we played basketball right through college, and, and as I said, we were, we were so into that. We were as obsessed about one thing as a young person could possibly be. But at the end of college, that that's part of the story was over. That was done. So after that, we moved to New York City, and we took that obsession, kind of that some people have called us psychos over the years, we took that psycho drive and we applied it to something else. We applied it to our careers. We got jobs as software engineers down on Wall Street, which is actually a funny story because my brother and I had never even written a line of code. We didn't even know what an if statement was for the nerds out there who know what that is. And we talked our way into a training program with all computer science students. I remember the first day as the teacher was talking about the bare basics of programming and we were just like, we have no clue what you're talking about. Everyone in the class is like, I don't know how these two guys talked their way into here. But we took that same obsession and we applied it to our software careers and we, we caught up quickly and, and we started to build a nice career for ourselves and we were down there from 1998 through 2005. We did our graduate schooling at NYU. My brother went uh, and got an MBA and started leading teams a little bit more on the business side. I stayed a little more technical and got a master's in information systems and, and stayed more on the programming end. During this time, we always knew that we wanted to be entrepreneurs. We knew that we wanted to run our own company. So we started many companies, probably about five or six or seven different companies while working our full-time jobs. So side hustle, nights and weekends. And you should have seen some of these companies. These are some of the worst companies ever formed, ever, 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 ever. We started a business called YourNextDermatologist.com. It was a website where you, find, you go to find a dermatologist. I took a day off from my corporate job and started calling dermatologists. And I was like, so, like, do you, like, kind of maybe want to be on our website? And they're like, well, how, how much, you know, I give them the price. They say, well, how much traffic do you have? I was like, well, nobody yet, but we're going to have stuff. Uh, needless to say, uh, your next dermatologist uh, didn't work out. If any uh, VCs are in the crowd and you want to buy the rights to that, I will sell for a sandwich. <laughs> um, but as we went through this, right, we, we started to get a little bit better. Each business got a little bit better. I should say a little bit less sucky is a better way to say it, right? Um, and then around 2005, I had created an educational software program that was pretty cool. So now we started to get it. We started to show this program to people, and people said, this is it. This is your business. Forget dermatology, right? This is your, your business. And so we, we started this program called Samson's Classroom. And, you know, all this time we're working our corporate jobs. And so... Before we quit our jobs to do this, we said, let's see if people will buy this, right? So we take a week of vacation uh, uh, from work. We set up school, uh, set up appointments with schools. We set up 12 appointments. 11 out of 12 of the schools are like, this is awesome. We're going to buy this, right? We're high-fiving in the parking lot. We're chest bumping. We're like, man, this is easy. We should have quit our jobs long ago. We're going to be rich, right? And so at the same time, I, my wife and I were living in Manhattan, and the plan was always to come back up to the capital region when it was time for a family. At that time, she got pregnant with our first kid. So she quits her job. I quit my job. We move upstate. We buy a house. We buy cars. We didn't even have cars down in New York, right? I'm all in for the monthly nut that it costs to raise a family, right? But I'm going to be rich, so no problem. 
Then I realized just because somebody says they like your product or they might buy it, doesn't mean you're actually going to get any money, right? We close zero out of 11 of those verbals. Zero. We keep pitching schools, same story every time. Oh, this is great. We should do it. I couldn't close a deal to save my life. I needed our business partner, John Keller, who's here in the front row, who can close deals, right? He wasn't around back then. I couldn't close a deal, and it was just the same thing over and over and over again. We went almost a year without making any money, and we ate through all of our savings, and we actually went 70 Gs into credit card debt. This is a real spreadsheet. This is a spreadsheet from February 7th, 2007, and we were 70K in credit card debt. It's not all credit card debt. As you can see, there's 28K on Pops loan. My dad, that's worse than credit card loans, though. <laughs> Although he still is our financier, but there's a difference between saying, Dad, we need money to do this amazing thing, or Dad, I'm going to lose my house if you don't give me 28 G's. So uh, this is a real number, 70 G's. I, every time I see that, I, I get a little bit sweaty and uncomfortable. But um, that was the low point, right? So I had to do something to get out of that. So I actually took two full-time contracts, two 40-hour-a-week contracts, and I worked them for 11 months. 80 hours a week, it was Oh, Godness, it was hell, right? I got my wife in the house, the new baby. She's whining about money. I'm crying. I'm working. You think I'm pale now. You should have seen me. I was so pale. I didn't leave the house for weeks on end, right? But in 11 months, we paid the debt off. 11 months, we paid 70 Gs off on the credit cards, right? And so I came out of the other side of that with... A, a newborn confidence, right? This thing that we're all scared of, right? Well, what if I quit my job and it doesn't work out and money? Da, da, da. Well, that kind of happened to us and we were able to hustle our way out of it, right? If you're, if you're hungry and you're smart and you live in America, you can probably hustle your way out of it, right? So, so I always joke that uh, I got a lot braver during that time. Um, at the same time, we started to um, scale the, or we started to figure out how to close deals with the educational software. So we got a contract with the New York City schools. Now we would go in, we'd pitch it, they'd go, oh, we love it. We'd say, use this contract vehicle here, and we'd start making sales. We scaled sales up to about a half a million dollars a year, which sounds amazing, right? Especially when I was young, I always thought if you had half a million bucks, you're rich, and like, it's over, right? It's time to be on MTV Cribs. But <laughs> when you're running a software company, a half a million dollars actually goes pretty quick. And so we just could never get over the hump with this business, right? We'd scale from two people to three to five, back to two to three. Um, and it was a really long slog. So this is from 05 when I quit my job through about 2012. Um, actually, Jesse is here right here. Uh, Jesse Zwegenthal is our first employee. So it was Je myself, my brother, and Jesse. And it was the three of us just grinding through these years. The whole time we're doing this, though, we're getting calls from people in our network. People who knew us from grad school or New York, I mentioned, you know, we're fairly intense. So people knew if you want something done, you call the Janelle boys, they're going to get it done. So we were always turning projects away, focused on our own business. And then in 2012, we started getting exhausted. We said, look, we're already working 70 hours a week. Let's just take the next project that comes our way and we'll kill it. The phone rang literally the next day with a project. We took it and we killed it. The phone rang again. We took the project. We killed it. Phone rang again. We hired a young person and started to train them up. We've always had a passion for hiring young people and training them up. Phone rang again. Hired another person. And that's it. It's, it that's the end of kind of that story, right? The phone didn't stop ringing. We didn't stop hiring. We just kept delivering for clients. And that's when we were able to scale the team and scale the revenue and hit the ink lists and all of that. And that's, that's an exciting story, right? That's kind of that's how we got rolling, right? Here's a picture of the early team, right? It's, it's myself and my brother and, and Jesse. We, our, our wives are in here. They were probably working five hours a week, but we wanted a, the company to seem a little bigger. I'm sure there's some entrepreneurs here. This guy up here, Juning, he's, he's a fantastic guy, but he was an intern at Albany, and we were pitching him like a PhD, 10-year experience guy. <laughs> The entrepreneurs out there know what it's, what it's like. Sometimes you just have to pretend you're a little bigger than you are. But, um, you know, the, the formula just started to work, right? And, and so people always ask me, well, there's got to be more to it than that, right? It's not like, oh, the phone just doesn't stop ringing, I, you know? They say, well, what's the formula? What, what's, 
Why does it work? Why are you able to scale? Why are you able to do this? Why is your turnover so low, right? The, the, the stat I'm the most proud to share is that since we started the company, only four people have voluntarily left our company. Um, in, the, in, in the software industry where people are constantly getting poached and jumping jobs for higher salaries, we've been able to maintain our team and maintain our superstars, which is really the key to the whole thing. So what's the formula? I ho- I'm going to try to share the four major principles that this whole thing is based on. And now the fire is going to get going, all right? So you guys in the front row, look out. <clears throat> Number one, first and foremost, the right people. If you don't have the right people on your team, it is almost impossible to build something special, right? Send me into one of these... <laughs> uh, i, I got to watch what I say. <laughs> Send me into certain companies, and, and uh, if the right people aren't there, it, it's, it's literally almost impossible. So when it comes to finding the right people. I recruit like a college football coach. I want the best people in the country at Janelle Group, and that is it. Our team wants the best people. We are going to find the best people. And number one, it's a numbers game. Speak to everyone. Talk to everyone. Have a recruiting system. We are now reviewing, interviewing, talking to, looking at resumes of over 300 people a year to hire 20. It's a numbers game. Keep looking. Find that person. And it's not all about their resume, right? We've got some of our best guys. One of the guys was, um, was pouring growlers at a, at a beer store before he worked for us. And he's a senior engineer. Another guy was making eight bucks an hour working at a Catholic bookstore. You can find those gems. If you, it's a numbers game. If you start talking to more people, you will start to see the stars quicker and easier. Number two, superstars. When we find who is a superstar, when someone says, I worked with this person once, they're absolutely unbelievable, that person better look out because I'm coming for them, right? We're going to have drinks. We're going to have dinner. I'm going to keep going. We just hired a guy that I recruited, Dan Schultz. I recruited him for four years, and he finally came on board, right? We want the best people. If we don't have the best people, we can't do this thing. We're going to find the superstars. And number three, once you, once you get them, you have to connect with them, right? This isn't about an interview and checking boxes, and, and I, I, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, right? Is there's a system or a formula that they're following and in terms of hiring and what people need when really it's about connecting with the people and, and looking a layer deeper. So this next one is a little bit tricky, and I'm not, I wasn't sure if I, I should go into it, but I'm going to give it a try, right? Everybody always talks and knows about compound interest when it comes to money, right? Everybody's seen the graph. Oh, if I get 8%, I'll be a billionaire by the time I'm 89, right? Um, but nobody thinks about that compounded effect when it comes to our people, right? So I just made up this silly thing, right? I just said, it, we're going to start at 100. What is 100? It's 100 units. It's just the average person is, values 100. If one person's 1% better, by year 10, it's 110, right? 5% it jumps. But... When we talk about compound interest in money, we usually talk about 8% or 10% or 12%. When it comes to people, think about your teams. Think about the people you've worked with. I don't see a 10% increase between a superstar and a regular person. I see 100%, 200%. We have people at our company that I believe are like 10x programmers. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that term, but I believe they're worth a team of 10, right? So look at it when, it's, when the person's 100% better. They're just double another person. After 10 years, the, 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 the results are absolutely astronomical. Now, I don't, does this chart hold up? I was just trying to make a point of when you take two people and, and you, you pick a superstar and a regular person and you just look at where they're going to go, that starts to compound. And then as you start to add more and more of those people, it all comes down to that. Number two. Servant leadership. In 2012, I believe that servant leadership is a must, right? Especially in our industry, right? The, the great developers, the great software creators, they have the power, right? It's, about, it's up to us to find them, attract them, recruit them, get them in, and basically just make them happy. That's it. They have the power. It's like a professional athlete, right? LeBron James gets to choose what he wants to do. Right? The team doesn't say, well, LeBron, we want to make sure you're here at 8.05, and if you're not, it's a problem, right? LeBron says when he comes in, and that's the way we treat our people, right? Servant leadership is a key to what we're doing. 
go the extra mile, right? If you got somebody sick in the hospital, go visit them in the hospital. If somebody, somebody on the team is getting married, give them an insane wedding gift, not just a regular one. Give that, this is an opportunity to do something special. When we have candidates come in, right? So we'll have, a, if somebody from out of town comes in uh, for an interview, they'll fly in and they'll, their plane will get in at midnight, right? Clearly they should take an Uber to the hotel, right? I'm going to be there to pick them up at midnight, even if they don't want that, right? Especially imagine after like a long flight, you're just like, please let me get in an Uber. And then this maniac shows up at the airport saying, let's go. Come on, let's start this interview. And you're just like, whoa. But my point is, I'm, try- I'm trying to make that point, right? It's stupid for the CEO to be there at midnight to pick you up at the airport, but that's what I'm going to do, right? I'm trying to make a point. <clears throat> We've given some really unique gifts over the years, right? We talked about Jesse. Um, this story sounds so cool, and then when I give you the details, you'll be like, it's not so cool. Jesse, when she was young, came to us, and she was running a sales, uh, um, like a cold calling center for the educational software, and we set a target for her, and we said if we got it, if she hit it, we'd buy her a new car. She was driving literally the worst car in America. And so she, she hit the target, and we bought her a car. I said, no, it was, I think it was like $3,000 and it was a complete clunker. But the point is 4,000, it was 4,000. She said, this car is so cheap. If I threw a cheeseburger on the dashboard, it would double the value. (laughs) That was a great line. You said that in uh, 2009. Um, Right. So that's a silly gift, right? It's a terrible car. But to someone who's 18, maybe, you know, we tricked her enough where she's still here. So it worked, right? Let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about, right? We've got a guy on our team named Jethro Brewer. Jethro Brewer. We call him Jet for short. Jet grew up in South Africa as a musician. Jet's a great guitar player, and he's played guitar, I think, on four different continents. Traveled the world, right? Along his travels, a wealthy guy gifted him a guitar, a Fender Stratocaster. Right? That didn't mean anything to me. I don't know anything about guitars, but after doing some research, I found out that this is a pretty special guitar. And Jet loved this guitar and played it for years. But see, Jet had a problem. Jet fell in love with a girl from America, and he wanted to move to this country to start his life. That wasn't his problem. His problem was he was broke. <laughs> he didn't have any money. Jet was broke as a joke, okay? He had one thing of value. It was that guitar. So what does he do? He decides to sell his beloved guitar to raise the money to move to America and start his life and be with his sweetheart. What a great story, right? As soon as we heard that story, my brother said, that's it. We have to find that guitar. We have to buy that thing and give it to Jet to show him how much we care and how much we love him. So instantly we were on a mission. We started emailing, calling, um, basically just stalking people until we found, we tracked down the owner of that exact guitar in South Africa, but he didn't want to sell it. He, you know, he loved the thing just like Jet did. So we, in typical entrepreneur fashion, we had to tell a story. We had to um, explain to him why he needs to sell this. So we convinced him to sell the guitar to us, and we had a family friend fly it back, and now we've got the guitar, and it's time to set Jet up for the big reveal, right? So we have Jet speak to the team. So Jet set, we sets up in a room kind of like this, and there's 40 people in the room, and he's speaking to all of our younger guys, and he's telling a story about how sometimes in life you have to sacrifice in order to get to where you want to go. So right as he's saying the line, as I sold my beloved guitar, my brother pops through the, the door holding the exact guitar and says, you mean this guitar? Jet's jaw hits the floor. He looks over and says, what? He walks over, he grabs the guitar, and he immediately turns the guitar over. And he looks, see, there was a scratch, there was a scratch on the back of this guitar that only Jet would notice. And he moved his finger down and he found the scratch. And when he saw the scratch, Tears welled up in his eyes, and he said, you found her. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house, right? The crowd goes crazy, and it was just a, it was a really special moment that we created for Jet and for the entire team. And there, there's a picture of Jet with the guitar. Um, it, was a, it was just an awesome moment. And that's, those are the type of things that I'm talking about, right? Number three, the, the third third principle of the Janelle Group formula is extraordinary experiences. 
doing things outside of your ordinary life together, right? This is something that we specialize in. And we had to manufacture all of this at the beginning, but now it's taken on a life of its own. These, the team is doing all of this stuff on their own. These guys are connected. They're going river rafting. They're running tough mutters. They're going to camps together. They're, they're having costume contests. I was literally looking through for pictures for this, and I, I have like a thousand pictures, right? I, I didn't even have enough. We go on this annual trip to Frenchtown, New Jersey every year where we take over this hotel, and uh, we just have an absolutely amazing night. When I tell my college buddies, right, I talk to my college friends, and I say, you got to see these trips. I mean, this is literally just as much fun as we had back in the day. And they say, there's no way you're traveling down to Frenchtown, New Jersey with a bunch of nerds and having as much fun as we had back in the day. And I'm like, dude, you just have to see it. It's absolutely unbelievable, right? And, it, and when you think of your own life, right, think of some times where you did something really special with somebody. Maybe you went on a trip to another country together. Maybe you went away to a camp. It was a different experience. And you got connected with somebody, right? It fast-forwarded your friendship and sped it up. And if we're intentional about these things, we can kind of manufacture this stuff. Number four, and this one is my absolute favorite, is struggle, right? Great teams go through hardships together, right? They, they go through things that are really, really difficult together. And that's something that bonds teams, right? If you think about the special teams that you've been a part of in your life, it doesn't have to be a sports team, right? Maybe it's a startup company. Maybe it's your church group. Maybe it, who knows, right? When you think of those special teams, I bet you'll find a common thread that you went through difficult things together, right? I love watching the Navy SEALs training, right? The BUDS training. When these guys go into this 12-week course, First of all, they're savages on the way in, which goes to my first point. You've got to have the right people, right? They're savages on the way in, that's true. But after they go through this, they come out different on the other side, right? Navy SEAL teams are bonded like no one else in the world. Those guys are ready to die for each other. Why is that, right? There's multiple reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is the U.S. Navy has found a way to manufacture that struggle and manufacture that hardship and when you're going through stuff like this together, you're going to be connected, right? And so this next thing I'm going to try is a little bit risky, but I'm, I'm going to give it a shot here to see if we can create one of these moments. Can anyone here do a plank? So I'm talking about a push-up plank. And does anyone want to be in a contest? Warren, come on, bro. You want, you want to come up? Come on. Anyone else want to challenge Warren? Come on, somebody. Yes, sir. Let's go. All right, these two gentlemen, I, I give you guys props. I give you guys props. All right, we're, we're, we're playing for a Chris Hundy right here, okay? No, no, the winner gets it. I don't want the, I want the jacket. You can have the jacket. <laughs> You're too jacked. All right, so you guys are going to get into a push-up position, push-up plank, so not on your elbows, on your, you know, on your push-up. And you're just going to go until one of you dies, all right? Now... While these two morons are doing this, I will continue to entertain by making fun of them. <laughs> I, you know, when I was planning this bit, I was with my son. I'm like, how long do you think the average person could do a plank? And he's like, he, he, so he looked up the world record. He goes, the world record's eight hours. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, really, oh, I would need two people to do, a, um, uh, to, to do eight hours in order to ruin the bit, right? I'm hoping one of these guys dies after a couple minutes here. But I'm giving them props. These guys are looking strong here. Um, you guys have been going for about 45 seconds right now. <laughs> so how ridiculous is this thing, right? But we're literally, right now, we're creating a moment. We're creating something memorable, right? How many of these silly talks have you been to? And how many do you remember? I bet you these two maniacs are going to remember this, right? Especially the winner. Actually, more so the loser, because he's going to be like, I went back to work all sweaty, and I lost. And I volunteered when I didn't see who I was going against. The other guy was so jacked and shredded. <laughs> how are you guys doing down here? Great? You guys are going to ruin this bit because they're going to go for like nine more hours. All right, here's what we're going to do. While these guys are going, let's, is there any questions in the audience? Do we have any questions? Anything? Any questions? Nobody's got any questions. All right. <laughs> so let me tell you about something else where we manufacture this, okay? 
We have this event every year. It's an annual event called War Week. It's actually starting this, it's this week. It starts on Sunday. And War Week is an annual event where we challenge everyone in our company to put in the best week of work of their entire life. For six days, it goes from Sunday to Saturday. And it's not about their nine to five. I mean, they have to do their nine to five. They do their nine to five. But everybody picks a project. So you can work on anything. Any, that thing that you've always wanted to do. You could build a piece of furniture. You could learn to try to ride a unicycle. Um, one of my guys here, John Keller, is a type 1 diabetic. He implemented this thing called the open loop system, where his glucose monitor speaks to uh, this other device that speaks to his phone, and it m- manages his blood sugar. His, the, his system now is working literally like almost like a regular pancreas. Is that fair to say? He did this two years ago. He came in and said, man, these guys are good. He came into my office two years ago and explained this plan. And I was like, War Week's usually not like risking people's lives. <laughs> but he implemented the system and he lives on it. He's been living on it for two years and his doctor can't even believe it, right? That was a War Week project. One of our guys two years ago built a 3D printer. He actually got a kit and he put it all together and he soldered the wires together. We've seen some of the most amazing the most amazing things done on War Week, right? And we've had, these, this is the craziest part about that whole story. It goes for six days, and these are the numbers last year. We had, how are you guys doing, all right? Are you, do you have like another minute or two in you? Oh my goodness, this is impressive. Um, so last year, I think we had about 70 people on the team at the time of War Week. We had, I, I could get these numbers wrong, but this is roughly correct. We had over 15 people do 100 hours in six days. We had another 30 people do over 80 hours, right? And this sounds like some kind of crazy brainwashing cult, I'm sure, right? Um, but these, these, there's no pressure on anybody to do this. This is their own, these are their own projects, right? So everybody crafts up their idea, and they can work on what they want. And when people come out the other side of that, they're changed, Right? First of all, that was an extraordinary experience that they shared with their teammates. They went through struggle together, right? We, and it's not just hard work. We're also partying and we're, we're having great food brought in and Friday's a beer pong tournament. So next Friday, if anybody wants to get in the beer pong tournament, hit me up. <laughs> How are you guys doing? You got more in you? All right, here's what we're going to do. This went way further than I wanted to. You're both getting 100 bucks. all right? It's over. You're good. <laughs> Warren, I got one in my, uh, here you go, man. Check, got, checks in the mail? No, I got one over there for you after. No. I only had one hundy that he got. I know Warren, so I, the check's in the mail to Warren. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to get through. I wanted to share those principles of how we've built Janelle Group, right? Our business, everybody says, well, well what's your business model, right? Our business model is simple. Go find the best software creators in the world. Recruit them, sell them on what we're doing, and then just kiss their ass and make them happy. <laughs> That's it. Can <laughs> you go back like five minutes and repeat everything? <laughs> I give you guys props, man. That was amazing. They went for like five minutes, I think. I, didn't, I, I lost track of the time, but that was close to four or five minutes. I was hoping to get some weakling up here for 45 seconds. And be like, we created a, you know, and raised the champion's hand, but you guys are too, too much of studs for me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Voluntary. So we've only had three people voluntarily leave. Yes. The, the reporter goes, so there are some that did not leave voluntarily. Yes. So how do you handle that when you have somebody that you can tell that they're not the rock star? And there's probably some that you have gotten up to speed. Maybe they weren't delivering. So how do you deal with that? And then at some point when you say, you know what, it's just not a good fit, how do you deal with that? Sure. So so the number was four. And actually, this <laughs> this stat is a little bit... There's some, like, some fancy footwork in this statistic. Those four were superstars that we wanted to keep on our team that chose to go somewhere else. We've had maybe a small, maybe another two or three or four where we, weren't really, we didn't really want them, and they kind of it became clear that they weren't a fit, and they moved on on their own. So it wasn't just four that left. There was maybe another three or four that also left, but that was kind of a, we're kind of happy to send them along their way. 
Um, and then there's also, we do a lot with interns. So the young people have to cut their teeth and go through our, we have this forward motion training program, and they have to get through that. We've run, I mean, I don't even know how many people through there, at least 100 people through there, maybe, maybe 200 people through that program. And I think of our 85 people, about 45 of them have come from that. So we've hired about 45 of them from, again, I'm kind of making up the number, but about 200. So we're doing, with the young guys, we're doing a lot of testing beforehand. With the more senior people, the experienced people, almost every time it's someone who worked with someone that we know or there's a connection there where we know we're kind of 99% sure that this person's going to work out. So it's, it's kind of a mixture of those things. Any other questions? <clears throat> Lauren Groff, uh, Groff Network. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, no problem. You know, you're such a great speaker. This is great. Thank you. Um, tell me a little bit more about, like, some of those pieces about how you're recruiting. I mean, pursuing someone for four years, like, other than picking them up at midnight, you know, what are, what are some of the other uh, thoughts, ideas? Sure. So, so we have uh, what we call, like, our superstar strategy. So once a year or maybe even a couple times a year, we send it out to everybody. Who's the best person you ever worked with? The best person you've ever worked with or went to school with. Who's the best professional you know? I don't care if they're happy. I don't care what their job is. Tell me the best person, right? And we compile that list, and then we start to look at that, and we start to work off of that list, and we'll pick and choose some of them that may or may not be a right fit, and we'll start to pursue them, right? That's one of our things. Two is the top of our funnel for the young people is absolutely huge. We're hitting every career fair. We're posting jobs. We're, I'm speaking wherever I can speak. And we're spreading the word to everyone that we know, right? And I will say the same thing to this crowd that I say every time. If you know that kid, that young, smart, special person, that special, special guy or girl who's a nerd and has done calculus in 10th grade and they're just out of place and they need something special to go to, send them to me, please. Email me directly. Send me their name. I want to speak to them. It's amazing by just putting that out into the universe how many really special kids have come our way. We hired a kid in 8th grade. I mean, this guy's been with us for eight years already. I think that's illegal, but we did it. <laughs> and he's awesome. <laughs> what else? Any other questions? Do you worry as you continue to grow, it's, it's more difficult to scale and keep that, that uniqueness? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of our major concerns. Uh, we're 1253 right now, just to track the time. So that's one of our major concerns, right? As we grow, can we keep this special thing? And there's a couple like magic numbers, right, as you grow, like around 10 or 12 people, and then the next number is about 50, right, and then the next number is about 150, right? These, this is, you know, this varies depending on the business, but I got real nervous around 50, like, are we going to be able to keep it going? And what we've seen is, because we had the right people, the culture started to take off on its own. The teams are starting to organize, and it's... I, clicks is not the right word because it's so the opposite of clicks. But there's different crews, right? There's the young bros who like to drink beer and hang out. Then there's the nerds over here that are doing this. We have two crews. We have a Dungeons and Dragons crew. There's like 14 of them. They're completely not embarrassed to play this. And then they have, what's the other game they play? Magic the Gathering. I mean, and they go and they rock it out. They're like, this is the Magic the Gathering crew. I swear on my life this is true. Um, so they, they're kind of forming up by themselves. And because we have the right people, it's, they mix well. And, it, and, and it's just kind of working by the teams owning it themselves. And I'm hoping that we can continue that uh, because it can't come from us. And, it, and it's really, you know, as we scale, it'll be less and less us and more on kind of that next la la layer of, of leaders. <clears throat> what else? Any other questions? So that's a good transition point or segue to talk about leaders. So the folks that you're bringing in, probably on an individual component, what sort of leadership qualities are you identifying at that early point? Yep. How's that grown? Sure, sure. So one of the key things to our culture, and kind of to that question, right? You said it is it is a good segue. Is we have we like to keep a ratio of what we call. Um, culture people or people who can kind of stir the pot and maybe have more of that personality, right? In the software industry, there's just a ton of introverts. It's just a fact, right? So if we hire five introverts, we're like, all right, we got to get one or two people that are leaders and can talk and communicate and can stir the pot and can help lead those groups, right? So we're always looking at those ratios, right? 
And um, I, I think that's a huge concern for most software companies, right? If you throw a party or you have a big event and you put 40 introverted engineers in the room, it's just probably not going to have that special quality, right? But if you put those 40 in with 12 morons like myself who are going to stir the pot and create contests and start playing flippy cup and beer pong and get it going, then it works. The magic works. So it's, it's kind of about that ratio of culture people or people who can kind of lead from a social perspective, mixing them with the guys who are a little bit more shy. <clears throat> Darren, I know you're expanding, and I know you have an office in Austin and by now perhaps Hong Kong and Antarctica and God knows wherever else. How are you finding this community, the greater capital region, as a recruiting tool? A plus, a minus? Um, both, plus and minus, right? Um, we have amazing universities here in upstate New York. We just do, right? There's, there's, this, there's thousands, tens of thousands of students every year coming from everywhere to upstate New York to all of these amazing universities, right? So that is fantastic. We're, we're tapping into those schools, and we've had a ton of success there, right? What is a little bit more challenging for us is some of the senior, senior positions, especially when it's really, specific, uh, really specific technically what they need. What we're finding is we're having to go a little bit more national with our search um, and you know, letting them work remotely. Or we do, as you said, we have a Dallas, Texas office and a New York City office as well. Um, so guys could work out of there or remotely. Um, I, I, we have found a challenge finding really amazing senior resources in this area. We've done it, and we have some. We have, uh, boy, of our team locally here, at least 15 senior engineers who are really amazing. Um, but it's really hard to do that. So that's, it's kind of those are the pros and cons of that. What else? Other, other questions? How long does it take to find the senior engineers? Like how much time and effort does it really take for you to yeah, that's a great question. It's sometimes a really, really long time. We, we've been looking for a replacement for this one guy for, it seems like, six months now. And we've just interviewed so many people. And, and Mike Young here in the front row is one of our guys who runs that system. And they're out. I mean, you're, to find the guy we just got, how many did you look at? Hundreds, right? Yeah, thousands. I mean, literally thousands of people on LinkedIn and combing through that and going after them. So it, it, it is, it's really challenging. Um, sometimes you get lucky, right? Sometimes, going back to that superstar strategy, we look at the superstar list and we're like, oh my gosh, this is the best database guy that this dude's ever worked with. We need a database guy. And then again, like I said, look out. <laughs> I'm coming after that guy. <laughs> you know? uh, one more maybe, Rick? All right. Yep, one more. What, were you ever at a point where you did hone in on just recruiting superstars? If so, what sort of led you to that point? Um, no. <laughs> From the beginning, right? Again, this goes back to my sports career. We, my brother and I were lucky to be on special teams. A lot of times special teams are special because they have special players, right? And so, like, that was just super apparent to me right from the get-go. The very first hire, I'm like, I, we just need to find the best guy that we can trick into hiring, you know, and to, when, especially when we were, like, two or three people and almost homeless, uh, you know. But uh, we always set out to find the very best person that we can possibly get. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, sir. A little bit more energy next time, all right? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to bring it. A little more energy, be brave. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'd like to have your parents stand up. Thank you. Thank you. That was a very good $28,000 investment. Did you have any, uh, any interest? You know, he's, he's loaned us way more than that 28 Gs, but that one was under duress. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Actually, if anyone's raising money, my dad not only raised, he loans the money, he also paints the building that he loans the money for. We call it Bill Janelle Painting and Loan. <laughs> Bela, that was a great talk. Uh, Darren's a great speaker, and you could tell he really was passionate about culture and leadership. But, you know, lots of people talk about culture and talk about leadership and how good they are at it. Um, Darren's truly succeeded. Why do you think Darren has truly succeeded in such a tough market? Well, I think uh, they have – it's because of the culture, I believe, that they have built in that business uh, and because of Darren's leadership skills and his energy, right? You can't walk into a room with Darren without sort of feeling that energy vibrate off, right? He – he, he, he just buzzes that energy all the time. Uh, so I think that impacts other folks. And I think when, you know, as you could tell by the, in his talk, he's energetic, he's funny, he's entertaining, right? He's, he's kind of like really, really good. Now, what happens is he naturally attracts people 
that like that type of energy, engagement, and interaction. People who want to quietly sit in the corner probably are not going to be the types of, of team members he's going to attract. So a lot, of, a lot of the one lesson here that I think is that your management style, your leadership style will, will naturally select certain types of individuals that find that helpful to them. And, and he's very deliberate about it, right? He's deliberate, deliberate about it from recruiting. He's deliberate about it from the shared experiences, things he talked about. Uh, so there's a lot of things that they're very deliberate about. And I think he and his brother, um, and, and his brother was a guest on the show as well, uh, back a number of episodes ago, ago uh, as, and Darren's been on twice now. Uh, they really have this formula sort of figured out. And I don't mean to call it a formula to make it sound sort of, you know, degrading. I mean, it's, it's really a, a, a way of life and a way of behaving. And, and I think it's worked really well for him. Yeah, this idea of investing in your culture is really, really important because I know I mean, I've heard some great speakers talk about servant leadership and, and um, you know, one company that really does this really well is called Zingerman's. It's a family of food related companies in Michigan um, where I grew up and I heard um, Ari Weinzweig, the CEO and the founder, co-founder of that group of companies uh, talk about servant leadership and it's it's a big part of his job and it's a big part, I think, of Darren's job. He invests a lot of time when maybe he could be doing more operational or more financial or more client side work. And instead you say, no, I'm going to spend time and I'm going to invest money in the culture, in these servant behaviors, in these gift giving, in these celebrations, in making time for people when they're struggling um, and for opening up when you're struggling to give people a chance to help you. These are easy to read about in a book, but I think to actually enact them, you have to really commit time, energy, and money to doing this. And I think as Darren would would, would tell you, and I, I know um, a lot of the other proponents of servant leadership, it really pays off in terms of productivity, loyalty, uh, understanding your customer, going the extra mile, engagement, uh, all of these things that you want. If you want to be a customer-focused organization, first you have to be centered on your employees and on your culture. And then when everybody's pulling in the same direction, then it becomes very easy to serve your customers well. Yeah. You know, when you think about, uh, as a leader, you have to make a choice. Where are you going to spend your time? So things like sales, things like operations, finance, those things you can delegate. You can find people to do those things. To do these things that Darren talked about, right? To kind of these leadership skills, building the culture, uh, recruiting, right? Recruiting like a college coach, right? You can't delegate that stuff, right? You have to do that stuff personally. Servant leadership, right? This notion of gift, gift giving and being present, celebrating together, creating these moments and extraordinary experiences, right? You as the leader have to be there. You can't delegate that. Those are non-delegatable, if that's a word, uh, tasks. And, and I think that's, that's one way to look at this. Right. You can delegate doing the books. You can delegate doing sales. You can delegate, you know, doing quality assurance and all those other operational things in a business. But this stuff, I think if you want to be genuine, you cannot delegate it. So I think that's a that's a, a way of looking at it and helping you make that decision. Okay, where am I going to spend my time as a leader of a business? Agreed, Bela. So yeah, some really good takeaways, I think, for the audience in terms of how to really build a unique culture that gives you an advantage in the marketplace, both in terms of attracting employees, retaining employees, and then having those employees be motivated to serve their customers so well and to really run through walls for you. I think it's uh, it, it makes sense. It's logical. But the amount of investment uh, that Darren makes, I think, is something that we can all take away from to say, yeah, you can talk about it, but this is what it takes to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. And look, they're in a tough business, right? They're in the billable hours business, yeah. right? They have to go out and get contracts with other companies and then they need to deliver and they get fundamentally paid uh, sometimes by the project, but most of the time by the hour, they bill by the hour. They, they, they scope out the project and they say, this is how much it's going to cost. And, and so you got to deliver. This is not, this is not one of those situations where you developed a software program and all you're doing now is fundamentally taking orders, right? And fulfilling mm -hmm. and maybe providing some customer support. This mm -hmm. is 
challenging, difficult work um, that you're doing on a contract basis for other folks. Those are tough businesses. Yeah, and you're not relying on low-cost labor all over the world, right? He's got a group of people, right, right in your neighborhood there, right, yep. that's there, yep. that's in the office, that's, that's working together. So it's not a low-cost model by any means. Right, right. But it goes to back to his philosophy of getting the, the superstars. He's willing to pay for superstars because, remember, he talked about that when he made that little analogy about interest, right, and compound interest, right? So when you get a superstar – and they're 15% better than everybody else, right? Over five years, that 15% compounds itself really, really drastically. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, right? I, I would, I would uh, bet that most people don't look at it that way. They say, I can't afford a superstar. It's too, a person's too expensive. But Darren looks at it just the opposite way. I want to find those superstars. I want to hire them. And then I want to figure out how to keep them here. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's a great philosophy from a leadership perspective that he has put together. Yeah, it's strategic human capital, right? They use the fancy buzzword for it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people talk about it. Like you said, a lot of people talk about the things that Darren talks about, but Darren actually puts them into action. Uh, so I think that's really great. Yeah, cool. All right, what do you think, Bela? Time to wrap it up? Sure, let's wrap it up. Yeah, great. So some very clear takeaways today, right? In terms of investing time, energy, money into your people is really critical. And building that culture and being a great leader really does take all of uh, your a lot of time and a, a serious investment in being present and, and being engaged with your employees. And if you do it right, you can see the payoffs are very clear. And I think Darren told a great story about that. So Listeners, we're happy you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week, and we hope that you found the last hour interesting and thought-provoking. At this point, we'd like to once again thank Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. If you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Hey, Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? So for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. You can reach him on his telephone at 518-618-1225 or via email at rhonan at philipslytle.com. Of course, we will have all of his contact information in our show notes. Well, thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed, suggestions about future topics or potential guests, please do get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please do hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting app. We have lots of great guests in the pop line, pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York, have a great week, Mike. Sounds great, Bela. And that's it from over here in our rainy and gray Munster, Germany. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>